Good morning and welcome to the Snake River Lib podcast. It's Friday, the 24th of February. Welcome. Thank you so much for listening. I wanted to begin by talking about something that I was thinking yesterday. Um, <clears throat> I was driving home from a, a thing that I do and I was listening to Andrew Wilkow and he had mentioned a uh, He was talking about the fact that these people who detransition in regards to the transgender movement, that when people detransition, how they are hated by transgender activists, that they are that they are uh, ostracized, that they are um, essentially kicked out of the com- community, and. As I was thinking about that, I said, you know, this sounds awful familiar. And let me tell you why. You know, militant Islam dictates that when somebody, not all Muslims, the militants, that when somebody leaves the Muslim faith, that they're fair game to force them to come back or to die, frankly. Militants, again, not the Muslim community by and large. And when you look at that context, and then you look at what happens to people, and while I mentioned the detransition few, in reality, this happens to everybody in the progressive movement. You know, you look at these people who had transitioned and then detransitioned, and not only do they detransition, but they, you know, I mean, their lives are forever changed. I don't want to say ruined because you can pick up pieces, but there are things that they may not be able to ever do because of their choices. Um, and we do have to live with consequences. That's a that's a, a tenet of agency is that when you have agency, you have the ability to choose. You also have to live with the consequences. And this is something that the left, of course, hates more than anything else. They, they, they despise the idea of individual accountability. And why do they do that? They despise it because they despise the idea of the individual. But, as I was thinking about it, I said, this is very much like that. I mean, because whether it's, whether it's transgenders that are detransitioned, whether it is feminists who have understood what's going on with the transgender movement, there's a, um, a person that I follow, I won't say their name, uh, but she's a lesbian. Uh, uh, um, I don't want to say a radical, but she's an activist. But when they started saying, well, you know, if you're a lesbian, then you have to be willing to date trans women. And that really kind of sent her um, over the edge as far as 
realizing what this was because this isn't an ideology this isn't a movement it's a religion the 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 progressive uh, gender sexual orientation sexual identity movement is a religion of course we've always said that um, from the very beginning you know that you know with abortion being their high sacrifice for that but but um, if you try to get out then they're going to turn on you. And they'll turn on you with knives, not necessarily literal knives, although I suspect that there may be some desire to do that, but but figuratively. You know, I could I could go through a whole list of famous people that were on their side, if you will, the progressive uh sexual revolution side. I don't know what else to call the grouping for simply stating facts. J.K. Rowling. They have tried desperately to cancel her, and there's no way that they're going to cancel her. Um, No way at all. In fact, you know, all their efforts, all they do because of J.K. Rowling, who is a progressive All they do is get conservative Christians that were afraid of her books because they dealt with witches and wizards, not, of course, understanding that this was all fantasy and not real life. They're saying, oh, well, J.K. Rowling's on our side. Maybe I need to take another look at all that Harry Potter stuff. Why are they trying to cancel J.K. Rowling? For pointing out the fact that with few exceptions, men who tr- who identify as women in athletics dominate. And just pointing out the fa- that as a fact. Andrew Wolkow was talking, of course, you know, there was the... Uh, episode with a strong woman and Heather Swanson just a few years ago on South Park describing that situation of uh, men identifying as women competing in women's sports. But Andrew uh, Wilkow, like again, I was listening, who pointed out that way back in early times of South, well, 2003, 2004, somewhere around then. Mr. Garrison, who was the teacher of the kids, um, went and had surgery and became a woman. Well, you know. And then Mr. Garrison was upset because his doctor would not give him an abortion. When he was claiming he was pregnant. And, and and while that's funny and something to laugh about, in reality, there's something very dangerous there. And uh, I guess I'll hit all the buttons today. Uh, louder with Crowder. Stephen Crowder, he, he masqueraded as a trans woman, went into a Planned Parenthood, 
said that he'd had a pregnancy test and wanted to have an abortion, the pregnancy test was positive. And of course, Planned Parenthood, because they want to, they want to uh, support you and in, in in your identity. You know, how do you tell somebody that they can't be pregnant when they are physically or genetically a man and they don't have the parts to be pregnant? But you know what the danger about that is? If a male, I won't say man, but if a male were to do a traditional pregnancy test and it was to come up positive, but then not seek care as a male. One of the reasons that that pregnancy test could test positive is because of testicular cancer. And if you want to affirm somebody's gender uh, gender identity, so you don't want to go that route, how do you address it? Because that's a real health issue. I mean, my brother, who died ultimately from... Uh, cancer throughout his body uh, that's where it started was testicular cancer if you address it quickly it's extremely treatable and prognosis is usually not always but usually very good but if you insist and you as a medical provider are affirming them in their gender identity You could, in fact, cause somebody to lose their life by not getting them care when they needed it. The list goes on and on. You know, um, Martina Navratilova, you know, a pioneer for the gay and lesbian movement before there were all the, before it was a thing, really. She makes a comment about men competing in women's sports as women. Bam. You know, and all the people that the, frankly, that the right hails today. I mean, I could go with a list of those. Uh, Bill Maher, don't care for him. Dave Rubin, I do like listening to Dave Rubin. Joe Rogan. Tulsi Gabbard. All these people are progressives, but they're progressives that are on a solid foundation. You know, they understand, they have an objective, they can look at things objectively. And that's something that the left can't tolerate because once they start building their fantasy land, that's it. They we're they're done. It's a theology, not an ideology, and not a sexual revolution. It is a religion. And just like Muslim extremists ostracize those who leave or maybe even kill them. So too does the Alphabet Mafia. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. In fact, I think I may have missed it on the first time. This was a Snake River Lib, but thank you so much for listening. Um, since we've kind of waxed philosophical on the first bit, we'll just kind of continue along those veins, uh, but uh, perhaps tie it to some news that's going around. Um, Pete Buttigieg, uh, the Secretary of Transportation that has presided over over the first complete stoppage of air traffic since 9-11 and uh, by his own mouth over a thousand derailments. Um, Not to mention the supply chain when he was on paternity leave. Uh, Went to Palestine, Ohio, East Palestine to visit. Now, mind you, this is an area, in fact, some people have said this on the media, not Pete Buttigieg. He's I guess at least smart enough not to be so stupid, but have pointed out that it's no wonder that the administration doesn't care about these people. These are all Trump voters. They all kind of deserved it. Deserved what is my question? Are we going to do an honest investigation or not? And here's the problem. You have to start wondering at some point, especially in light of, uh, of uh, a press conference yesterday by the uh, president's uh, spokesperson, KJP, Kareem Jean-Pierre or something like that. No, I'm not intentionally slamming her by not knowing her name. I'm just not looking at it, an article with her name in it to remind me. Because I'm talking. She pointed out yesterday, I think it was yesterday, may have been the day before, that this administration is the cabinet is a majority minority cabinet. It's also a majority women of females, although I don't know how you can define that because the they you know they put a Supreme Court justice up that can't define what a woman is. And so how can you say that your cabinet is majority woman? Maybe they're count, counting uh, Rachel Levine. Um, sorry. Nowhere do they point out that they have the most qualified cabinet ever. Did Trump have the most qualified cabinet ever? Absolutely not. Not saying that, would never say that, because there's no way that you're going to get the most qualified ever. But when you start with the premise, and we'll start with when it was candidate Biden choosing a vice president, that had to be a woman of color. Now, first of all, by saying it had to be a woman, you're eliminating 50% of the population from consideration. Now, I don't have necessarily too much of an issue with saying that we are going to find the best candidate regardless of what they look like or what their genitals are, although I probably wouldn't phrase it that way. Meaning that you're going to look at everyone. But you eliminate right off the bat half the country. So you're only picking, hopefully, the best and brightest of half the population. 
And then you go and you say, well, they have to be a woman of color. Well, you factor in women of color being black, uh, Hispanic, uh, Asian of some sort. You're talking about 40% of the population. So of that half, less than half of that is your pool that you're going to be drawing from. Never mind the fact that you are also going to be drawing based on ideology. Somebody that believes the way you do, or at least is willing, even if they may differ with you on some issues, they are willing to go along and enforce what you want. And so then you have to then you have to say ideologically, you know, in the countries you've got you've got uh, you know twenty to thirty percent ideologues on one side, twenty to thirty percent ideologues on the other. Perhaps in the women of color category, you have slightly larger than than thirty uh, percent of the uh, available people. But, I mean, ultimately, you're saying, I'm not going to pick the best that's available. I'm going to pick the best that's available of, say, 20% of the population. Now, ideologically, to me, that's where I would draw a line. I would, I, I, And it wouldn't have to be a hard line. They wouldn't have to be a libertarian. Because, frankly, I know that libertarians don't stand a chance in Washington until you get a libertarian Congress or at least a Congress that is willing to go through and start hacking up the federal bureaucracy. You know, conservatives talk a good game, but but they're all in on the bureaucracy, as long as the bureaucracy is serving them. But here's the secret, and this is why conservatives fail. The bureaucracy will never serve a conservative president. They'll go through the motions of it, don't get me wrong, because they'll they understand that a blatant blatant uh, disregard of policy can get them fired, especially the higher ups. The problem, of course, is the rank and file, which mostly vote for Democrats and are progressive. If not progressive, then center left. The vast majority of that bureaucracy is going to slow walk. Anything a conservative does. And so short of eliminating the bureaucracy or doing a radical change in civil service reform, you've got a real issue. Now, people will say, no, you can't do that. They have their job. Well, then they should be following the president. Well, it's not fair that they have these radical policies. In fact, I don't remember which talking head. I think it may have been on Gutfeld, but could have been on Laura Ingram. They were talking about the fact that they were talking about the fact that, that it's a problem that you have all these changes. No, it wasn't. It was watching a Gigi Son in her nomination fight for the FCC uh, uh, on you know to be on the FCC board. You know, you have this back and forth, and and our government is not set up to do that, which is why you have this problem, and which is why you have where the vast majority of of the bureaucracy when a Republican's in, say you've got a Republican that wants to come in and crush, kill, destroy. They're not going to get anywhere without a supermajority 
in Congress, meaning a meaning a filibuster-proof majority of conservatives or libertarians in the Senate. And really, you don't need that supermajority in the House. All you need is a plus one. But you need to have a caucus that is going to stick together and vote on that. Because the bottom line is this. Yes, she was absolutely right. And, and it was Gigi Song. I'm sorry about that. Uh, I was watching that. She's absolutely right. 100% right. I Normally, I'm not going to agree with a progressive, but she's 100% right on this. You know, when you have the winds of change based on who's in the White House, what that tells you is that that bureaucracy should not exist. If you have a bureaucracy that has the impact that something like the FCC, which regulates the internet and communications, if they have such radical changes proposed or implemented based on who's in the White House, that bureaucracy shouldn't exist. If it is that partisan an issue, they should not have that kind of power. And I watch all these people, and, and you've got conservatives, Democrats, both want to see uh, Section 230. We talked about Gonzalez uh, versus Google, and they want to see both conservatives and, and uh, progressives want to see a lot more regulation on the Internet. I would propose, and this I did catch, uh, it was it was on uh, Cat Temp was was uh, uh, hosting Gutfeld last night. And and she's pointing out that both sides want to see more regulation based on, on, you know, on their particular ideology. And I would say this, and this is what I said, that I'm very clear on this, and I hope, I would love to see this prevail, and it could be, theoretically it won't be, but because you've got ideologues on the court, that's just how it is. But this would be something that really you could get a bipartisan consensus saying, saying that Section 230 does protect grant immunity to platforms. However, because Google, Facebook, et al., I'm sorry, I should say three sources and then say et al., Google, Facebook, Twitter, et al., because they do censor, because of quote-unquote, disinformation. They essentially become a publisher and they have liability for for what they do allow on their platform. Now, people will shriek and scream on both sides and say, oh, you can't put this or that. And I did mention that you should have issues regarding child pornography, which Twitter, during all those disinformation wars, as we know from the Twitter files, Twitter allowed certain child pornography on on their website or on their uh, app while at the same time slamming anybody that challenged uh, that brought up Hunter's la- Hunter Biden's laptop what kind of world is that by the way how about instead you say section 230 does grant immunity from liability 
but because Google, and there's another case, and I believe it's Twitter, but don't quote me because I haven't read through that case yet. Uh, but because Google and YouTube has selectively censored, they have become a de facto publisher and are not subject to Section 230. Or Section 230 does not shield them from liability. And so they can either, they either have to censor everything or censor nothing. What are your thoughts on that? You have an administration that is based up now entirely of ideologues first. Intersectionality, meaning race, nationality, sexual orientation, sexual identity, gender, second. Loyalty to the president, third, and fourth, qualified for the job. And that started with day one with the vice presidential pick. Somebody who could not even make it to the first primaries and caucuses when they ran for president in 2020. She's a heartbeat away from the White House. But whenever you're, you, you have to hold up, whenever you're waving the flag of saying, see, see, what you're saying is, we didn't care whether they were competent enough or not, which is obvious. You know, Trump went through a lot of people. He hired him, didn't like him, fired him. Sometimes you got to do that. Trying to find the best fit. The fact that you, you know, especially when you do not or when you demand results or loyalty. But when you're satisfied with mediocrity as your gold standard, then you get what this administration is. It's a Snake River Lib. My life matters. Does yours?